Many of them missed it because they were expecting a king. He didn't come like a king. He didn't take over and he didn't put himself out there to rule and reign over Rome at that time. And boy, I'll tell you what, they were looking for that. We saw that with even the, uh, the apostles and, uh, like I say, the disciples, who ultimately, even in chapter 1, verse 6, were asking questions like, hey, you know, when are you going to establish the kingdom? He says, it's not for you to know the times, that kind of thing. So anyway, we ended where we were talking about the, how even particular passages in the Old Testament, like Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, where that comma between the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance, the day of vengeance of our God, there's a comma there, and that comma represents the church age. They didn't see it. They put it all together. We talked about Jeremiah 23, 5, and 6, once again, where a comma between the righteous branch and the king who shall reign and prosper separated. It was, it was a, a comma that basically represented the church age. And so we noted those things. And so as you can see there, the prophets didn't see everything the way we, in hindsight, see it. So it was a little bit confusing for them at times, and we need to try to understand that. It's always easier to see looking back than it is looking forward. It just always is. And, uh, you know, armchair quarterbacks, or at least after the game, you know, it is, well, I wouldn't have kicked the field goal. I'd have went for the touchdown. Well, that's easy to say when the game's over and you can go, well, if we'd have done that, we might have won. But during the heat of the moment, in the midst of all of the chaos and all the, the heat of the game, I'm telling you, it's not always easy to make the right decisions. And sometimes you made the right decision. It's just that it didn't turn out the right way in the minds of so many. And so in this case, the prophets were doing what they could with what they had, and uh, in many cases, it seems that they could not see the two comings. Uh, they just couldn't see them separated. They saw it all as one coming. All right, so let's move on now and, and see what we can't learn now uh, along the way, because I want to take a, a few minutes and talk to you about a few things, okay? So I want to, first of all, I want to talk about the three offices that Christ is going to hold or has held. First of all, prophet, then we have priest, and we have king. Now, again, tonight, I'm just going to try to teach you a few things and try to encourage you a little bit in the Bible, because, again, I think it's important that we know the Bible. By the way, I do want to encourage you to go to Sunday school class. First John is an amazing book. Matter of fact, what we talked about, what I heard being spoken of even uh, uh, by Brother Pierce tonight was exactly what we've been talking about in Sunday school class for the last two or three weeks. Matter of fact, this coming week, you're going to talk almost specifically about what he talked about, loving others. That's one of the, the main uh, characteristics and qualities of a true believer. But nonetheless, um, you need to be a part of Sunday school because you need to learn the Bible. That's why we're having our adult leaders teach the books of the Bible. So you learn the Bible, not just principles all the time. And although principles are wonderful, but I promise you, if you'll listen to what's being taught in the book of 1 John, there are tremendous principles to dig out of it. And boy, I'll tell you what, it is powerful and it has been excellent. And uh, I've enjoyed it thoroughly. And uh, I don't know if my class has, but I have. It's been awesome. And uh, I want you to be a part of it. So find a class, join in there, get, a, get to be a part of it, and just let the Lord speak to you through those lessons. Prophet, priest, and king. So again, the prophets saw the prophetic work of Christ. They did see that, okay? And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But they also saw the kingly work of Christ. But again, they, they did miss out on the priestly work. Because basically the priestly work of Christ is his work that he's doing right now. And they didn't see that part. They saw the prophet, as we're going to note here in just a moment, Deuteronomy 18, 15. But they did not see him until he becomes king. 
And so they missed it, as we said. They kind of shot right over it. They looked right over top of it to some degree. Now, turn, if you would, to Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, and we're going to note Christ the prophet. He's being prophesied here, even in chapter 18, verse 15. Again, you'll recognize the one who's speaking. Moses is the one who God is using here. And the Lord is going to give him a prophecy and basically tell him something that's going to ultimately affect his people as well as the world forever and ever. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. The Bible says, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me. Moses, again, is the one that God is using at this time. And, he's, and, and we know that Moses was a tremendous prophet. We know that Moses played an integral part of Israel's you know, history as we look back. I mean, it's amazing the, 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 you know, the, just the influence that he had and ultimately the power that he had as a, in that nation. And just uh, amazing, just out, downright amazing. And he's saying, the Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. He said, unto, unto him ye shall hearken. Now I want you to go over now to Acts chapter 3, verse 22 and 23. We're going to see that once again, you, you know, you say, well, who's he talking about there? I mean, when he talks about he's going to raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, who's he talking about? Well, he was talking about Jesus Christ. He's talking about the one who would ultimately come. We recognize this over in the book of Acts chapter 3 when Peter, again, the apostle, is speaking under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And notice what it says here in Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 22 and 23. Acts chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. For Moses truly said... Unto the fathers, a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto thee. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. He goes on to make sure that they understand that that person, that one that's being spoken of, was none other than Jesus Christ who they crucified. Now, it's important to realize that because we see the prophetic work of Christ. Christ is prophesied in the Old Testament. He works in that sense of prophecy. He comes to the earth, and he's prophesying. He's saying, listen, I'm the one you need to receive. I'm the one you need to believe in. I'm the one that ultimately is going to do this and this and this and this and this. And and boy, I'll tell you what, he was rejected, of course. We know that. They didn't didn't accept him. They didn't obey him like it was said that he should, and they just didn't do it. So we see him in his prophetic work. They rejected him as a prophet. But then we note the priestly work. Over in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 14, the Bible says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Again, we have a great high priest, a great high priest that's passed into the heavens. So we find here that we have a prophet, that Christ, one of his offices was that of a prophet, but also the office of a priest. Now that office is taking place presently. It's taking place as we speak. In Romans chapter 8, verse 34, it says, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. So we have Christ the priest now. He's acting in a priestly role. Now again, he comes and he has three offices. We're going to find that he doesn't hold them, he doesn't hold them at the same time. 
He doesn't do that. He holds them uh, in, in, at, at separate times. First of all, the prophet, then a priest, and at some point here in the near future, Lord willing, he's going to come as a king. And so we're looking forward to that as well. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, though, when it talks about this priestly work, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. So again, he's making intercession. He's doing a priestly work. He did a prophetic work while he was on earth, and, and beforehand he did as he was the, you know, uh, uh, the angel of the Lord and so forth. Now we see him in his priestly work taking place in, in, in the world today. Boy, he's calling out. We're, we're seeing just the, 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 the church being called out from among the world. You know, People are trusting, receiving the Lord Jesus Christ, becoming the, the body of Christ. He is now ministering. He's in heaven. He's doing a priestly work on our behalf. He sacrificed his body. He shed his precious blood, and it was placed on the mercy seat. And boy, I'll tell you what, he's doing a priestly work even now, making intercession on our behalf. And so we recognize that. Now, the Old Testament saint didn't see that. The Old Testament saint did not recognize that portion of his ministry. They didn't see it that way. Now, what they did see, however, is his kingly work. Now, over in Revelation chapter 19, turn there, would you? 19 verse 16. Revelation chapter 19, verse 16. Again, he holds these offices consecutively. He doesn't hold them simultaneously. And so the reality is, is that he's holding them one at a time. And the prophets, man, I'll tell you, they knew about Christ. They were told about Christ and his prophetic work. Uh, but they didn't see the priestly work. They just looked right past it. And they looked right here as his kingly work because this is what they really wanted. And you know what? This is what we really are looking forward to as well. This is what Christ deserves. Revelation 19, 16, And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's Jesus Christ as he returns in chapter 19 of the book of Revelation as he comes to establish his earthly kingdom, as he comes to rule and reign on the throne of David. That's what we see here now. And so he's coming back now. And we know that when he returns here, he's coming back with his saints. We've already been raptured out, and now we're returning with Christ, and, he, he's, and Armageddon's going to take place, this big battle. You know the one that everybody always likes to talk about? Well, you're going to be a part of that, and so will I, but we're not going to have to be too awfully involved because he's going to simply speak, and a sword's going to go, take care of business, all right? It's going to be a short-lived battle, put it that way. And so we're, we're looking forward, though, to him establishing and setting up his kingly reign on earth. And that's exactly what the apostles and that's exactly what the Old Testament prophets were seeing. And that's why they were looking forward still to it. Again, look over at Acts chapter 1 real quick just to once again confirm that reality because, again, it's kind of hard to wrap our minds around this, but even the, 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 the disciples and the, or the apostles even, they, they struggled with this. They honestly thought that he was going to establish his king, his kingdom. And uh, they, they missed it. They really could not wrap their mind around what was taking place 100%. And so here in uh, verse uh, 6, the Bible says in chapter 1 of the book of Acts, when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Again, remember now what the prophets are seeing. You, you have to you got to keep that in mind a little bit. 
So again, the prophets are looking out, and what do they see? Oh, they, 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 they saw a crucified Savior, Isaiah chapter 53. I, they get that, I get that. But they saw him ascending to the throne. And so now, here we go. They missed the church age completely. They're all the way over there where Christ is reigning and, and so forth, the millennial kingdom on the throne of David. And so that's exactly what these disciples, that's exactly what the apostles, and I say them inter interchangeably because the, the, the apostles are those original disciples, if you will, so we see that. And, and there were a few other apostles down the road too, but that's debatable by some people. But nonetheless, the fact is, is that there's, there's these, these men now, they're looking for that right there. They're looking for the reign of Christ. They're looking for him to sit on the throne of David. That's why they said to him, who's gonna be on your right and who's gonna be on your left? Because they could not wrap their minds around 2,000 years of a church age, or maybe more. We don't know for sure, because that's not what they saw prophetically. And so here they are asking the question now, you know, Lord, what wilt thou, uh, you know, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, verse 7, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. And so... Uh, we, we notice that again. So we find here this prophetic, the prophet, his, his role of a prophet, his role of priest, his role of the king. And uh, we, we see that uh, there um, in, our, uh, in our Bibles. It's quite obvious. So he's coming back, and he is going to establish his kingdom, but he just wasn't going to do it now. So let's look at something else now. So we, we, we see these three offices, but let's look at the three appearings of Christ. Now, the Bible tells us that, and turn if you would to Hebrews chapter 9, because we're going to look at this passage, chapter 9, verses 24 through 28. Let's look over there, and then we'll, we'll kind of just break this down a little bit. And we're given insight into these three appearings of Christ. Now, remember what we said earlier when we talked about John chapter 5, verse 39. Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. When you look at the Bible, you dig into the word of God, you're going to see Christ. You're going to recognize him. And we're going to get insight into his life, his ministry, uh, his, his future. Notice what the Bible says here in chapter 9. We're, I'm, gonna, I'm trying to find it myself, actually, here. I, but I, I probably have it already typed out here. I do. But I'll turn anyway. You know, like you do when you're soul winning, you know, you turn to the Bible. You've got to memorize. But you still turn there, right? Why do you turn there? You want people to believe for, that you're reading it right out of the Word of God. Why? Because the Word of God is the one that has the power, not you. So you don't want them to think it's your Word. You want them to know it's God's Word. And that's why we turn to the Bible in church many times, you know, because it's important that we realize it's God's Word. I am a little concerned, and I brought this up before. I'm concerned a little bit with all the electronic Bibles, because I just think about how easily those could be manipulated. You know, you think about a Bible that's in writing right now. You've got it in a binding here, and it's, here it is. It's right in front of you. You know what's in it. I mean, somebody would have to come out here and tear pages out, or they'd have to cross out words, but it's there. It's there. You can hold it in your hand, and it's there. But you know what? You take like an olive tree Bible or something like that online, they could change it, and you wouldn't even know it. Just like that, they could change it. I mean, think about what's changing in our world now. I mean, can you imagine if somebody comes along and says, you know what, there's things in that Bible, that, that electronic Bible that you people are promoting and that maybe you're selling. I think there's some things you better either get rid of or we're going to shut you down. And they go, well, we'll compromise a few things. We'll take out a few things. 
And then you're reading through it and you don't realize it because if you haven't read your Bible through and if you haven't really taken time to study it, you may think that's really the word of God because it still has KJV on it. But they've removed something out of it. I'm just saying you need to be careful. I, I'd make sure I had a real reliable copy of the word of God around. That's what I guess I'm trying to tell you. Something that you can turn to and double check all the other stuff that you've been using because uh, I think it's important that we, we do that. Chapter 9, verse, uh, let's start with verse 25 and 26. And you'll notice on our, uh, our, our, our chart here, hath appeared. He hath appeared. And we know that Christ has appeared already, but the Bible says in Hebrews 9, 25 and 26, nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entered into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Notes, he hath appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Aren't you glad he only had to make one sacrifice too? So the Bible teaches. You know what, that, that, you know, he made one sacrifice and you only have to be saved one time too. You know, that, that blood and that sacrifice is sufficient for payment for your sin. And that's, a good, that's good news today. But he hath appeared. And when did he appear? Well, we saw him back there in the, Old, in the New Testament. Well, I could say Old Testament really because it wasn't until the death of the testator. Chapters, what, way later on in Matthew, Luke, John. Uh, Mark, where we see the death of the testator, and until then, it's all Old Testament. It's not even New Testament yet. And so we see in the Old Testament, we see Christ walking on the earth, uh, preparing and setting up and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's an interesting phrase. It shows up only in the book of Matthew, and it only shows up 32 times in the entire Bible, and it's all every, in Matthew every single time. And by the way, the kingdom of heaven is a physical kingdom. So when Christ came, he came to establish and set up a physical kingdom. He actually did. The only problem was his people rejected him. They turned their back on him. He opens up salvation to the Gentile. There's now this period where the Gentile's being saved and his bride's being called out. You say, well, what would have happened if they'd have accepted him? God would have worked out a way to find a bride for his, his son. There's no doubt about that. He'd have worked it all out. He just wouldn't have done it exactly the way it's being done now. But God, remember, has foreknowledge. So therefore, none of this took him by surprise. He already knew. He knew that Christ would be rejected. He knew there would be a church age and a calling out of the bride of Christ. And uh, he knew that he would appear and pay for the sin of the world and all of those things. So we see that he hath appeared. And so he did. He paid the price for sin. And I'm glad that he did that. He's not like a priest. He doesn't have to go yearly. He went once. That settles it. It's over. Now, again, um, in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. There we see a, the, the, the prophetical uh, view of Christ's coming. He's going to appear. At that point, it's still future. And then we, of course, see him. That was his first appearance. He hath appeared. We look back on that now. His virgin birth, and we look back on that. And in Matthew 16, 21, from that time forth began Jesus to shew unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Again, all of that fits into what we just read in Hebrews chapter 9, 25 and 26. So he hath appeared. That was back there as he walks the uh, dusty roads of Galilee. That says he's over there being taken captive and ultimately placed on a cross, dying for our sin, being buried and rising again. He hath appeared. But then in verse 24, notice it goes on here. It says, now to appear. 
For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. How does that line up? Now think about what's going on here. We see his prophetic work and he hath appeared. We see his priestly work and that now he does appear before God making intercession on our behalf. See, it's all lining up. See what I mean? It all lines up. Now again, the prophets, they didn't see all of that. But we're looking in hindsight backwards. And in Hebrews, we're seeing all of the things that the Old Testament did. I mean, all these sacrifices, we're seeing them uh, being fulfilled in Christ, those types being fulfilled in Christ. But again, he's appearing for us now. He is presently appearing on our behalf before God, making intercession on our behalf. And again, without Christ and his intercession, none of us would have any hope at all of ever reaching heaven. It just wouldn't happen. He's everything to us. And without him, we are nothing. I mean, absolutely nothing. We are simply, uh, I mean, just, we, we would just be rotting in hell forever and ever without Jesus Christ. I mean, we have no hope whatsoever at all. At all. It's all the grace of God. What a wonderful work that Jesus did on our behalf. I mean, when he did that work, as we talked about, he hath appeared, and uh, he now, he's now to appear. And, and notice he shall appear, chapter 9, verse 28 now. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So notice again, he shall appear. He's going to appear, shall appear. He hath appeared, Calvary, to put away sin. He, he is appearing presently before the throne, making intercession on our behalf. And he shall appear one day and take his rightful place on the throne, and we will rule and reign with him according to Revelation chapter 1. It's pretty nice, pretty good stuff, right? So we see how it works out. So he hath appeared, lines up with the prophetic work, to now appear with priestly work, and shall appear his kingly work in that regard. Okay, we see how that all lines up. Now I want to show you one more thing here as we close. I want to show you how Paul addresses this whole thing. I want you to turn, if you would, over to Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. This is an amazing passage. I, this is great. Notice what's tra- taking place here. We're going to see his first coming being addressed. Now, again, Paul's going to link up the two comings. He's going to take the first and the second coming, and then he's going to tell us how we're to live between the two. Because remember now, the Old Testament saints, they didn't see the church age, you know? They didn't see it. Paul is the apostle to the Gentile. And... Oh, okay, we're still good there. Okay, I see that. All right. And so, uh, I'm sorry, I'm looking. I saw that screen flash, and when that screen flashed, I thought that screen had messed up too, but it didn't. Okay, so anyway, Paul is the apostle to the Gentile. And so let's see what Paul says is our role now between the comings, between the first and the second coming of Christ. What's our duty? What's our responsibility? Well, watch this. First coming, verse 11. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. That's the first coming, right? That makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, that's pretty clear. It hath appeared to all men. This, he bringeth salvation. And again, how do he do that? By sacrificing himself on Calvary. We saw that already. 
by performing his, his uh, um, that what was prophesied would take place, what, would, what would, he would actually go through, and uh, then we just we see that, that, that taking place. We, we see that all happening there. His prophetic work there coming to fruition. So notice it says his first coming, for the grace of God bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Notice the second coming now. Verse 13, verse 13. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, now here we have the second coming. All right, that's pretty obvious. The glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. What chapter in Revelation addresses that? Where do we see that taking place? Revelation chapter 19, right? Remember, he's coming back. He's coming back with his saints. And there's going to be that great battle that takes place and the sword's going to go forth out of his mouth, all of that. That's chapter 19. So Paul's linking up where his first coming to his second coming and he's going to say, now how do we live between those two comings, between the first and the second? The Old Testament prophet didn't see that. He wasn't really privy to that church age. But Paul, the apostle, is he's the apostle to the Gentile. He recognized that the, the Jew and the Gentile would be in one body. I mean, that was the mystery that he was able, that God gave him to reveal, whereas before it was, it was unknown. It was a mystery. And so he begins to reveal that, and he shows us. Now, here, here's what he says for us to do. Look at verse 12. We had verse 11, his first coming, hath appeared to all men. Watch, verse 12, teaching us that, that, that di, uh, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So how, he links these two comings together, and he says, now here's how you're to live between the two comings. If you fall in this time frame, if you are part of the dispensation of grace, if you are part of the family of God, the, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, this is, this is what God intends for you. Verse 12 teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. I think that's pretty simple, isn't it? But it ain't easy, is it? Over in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Now, if we would read those verses in context in the book of 1 Peter, we're going to recognize that he's writing to those that are scattered abroad, right? To the Jews, they're scattered abroad, the tribes that are scattered abroad. We know that doctrinally that passage can drop into the tribulation period. We understand this. Now, the fact is, is that when you see this passage and you start to understand that, and, and I'm just going to say this because it does apply to you and I as well. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. There's an application. But I want you to think about a tribulation saint being told, you are going through this horrible tribulation, this very difficult time as Jews. You're being chased out in the wilderness by Satan and, and his demonic horde. And uh, by the way, uh, but as he has called you as holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That word conversation isn't just your speech, it's your, your actions. Because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. Now, if they, under those circumstances, are to be holy, can I tell you that I think it's quite reasonable to expect you and I to be holy in the time in which we live? Quite reasonable. Matter of fact, in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and you could probably quote it, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a 
living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That's right. It's not unreasonable. It's very reasonable. And he goes on to say, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now again, we, we, we note this to be the case. How do we live between the, command, com, the comings, the first and the second coming? Well, Paul says, be holy. Uh, Paul says, I'm going to tell you right now, deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. Live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. That's how you and I are to live. We don't have any excuses for not doing so. If God can demand and require that a tribulation saint will have to endure the tribulation this same way, I guarantee you in the dispensation of grace in which we have Christ living in us the way we do, there is no excuse whatsoever for us for not living the way God intended. Paul the Apostle puts it all together for us. He makes it pretty simple here. And he, he puts it together in three simple verses. Verse 11, the first coming. Verse 13, the second. And then the middle, verse 12, this is how you deal with it. This is how you live. The Bible says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I shew you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. And that day's coming. We don't know when, but it's coming. So how are we to live before that day? And what are we to do in the midst of it all? We can complicate it. Oh, you need to be in church. You need to read your Bible and pray. You need to go out soul winning. You need to do this and you need to do that. And man, we can get this long list. Paul sums it up and says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. I mean, we can do that one. We got the rest of it knocked. The rest of that stuff's easy compared to that one. And that's exactly what Paul tells us as our responsibility. So when we put them all together, we learn a couple things. We saw the three offices or works of Christ, the prophet, priest, king. Presently, he's exercising his priestly duties. And Lord willing, it won't be long, he'll be exercising his kingly duties. And then we see the three appearings. They kind of coincide again. He hath appeared, and now to appear on our behalf, and shall appear one day as king. We see that. We also see how Paul puts them all together. We see the first coming, he hath appeared, and we notice his first coming, that he bringeth salvation, and he hath appeared to all men. I like that he appeared to all men. I understand that some would say that the blood is ineffable for all, but it is. There's no doubt. Why would he say that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance if that was the case? I mean, why would God make a, a, a plea or, or a statement that is not a truth statement? He, he speaks truth because he is truth. And a matter of fact, he even goes on to say that his word is truth. He says, you know, and, and so, so, I mean, he's, he's going to give us the truth. And, and so we find here that he hath appeared to all men. Every man, every woman has an opportunity to receive and accept Christ. And it doesn't matter what Calvin or anybody else said. Now, we go on and we noted that he, he linked it up again. He now to appear. And in the midst of his, his, his uh, work up in heaven on our behalf is our... Uh, you know, is, is basically our legal counsel, if you will, and, and he's, he's uh, um, 
that priestly duties and works that he's doing right now. He's giving us the ability, the opportunity to live holy by being dwelling us and empowering us as well. And so we have Jesus living in us, and that's a good thing. Second coming, and of course we see that shall appear, the second coming there as well. So they're all kind of lining up, these three appearings, these offices or works of Christ, and how Paul links up the two comings. They all three kind of fall into place. And it's all based on three different things. Kind of Christ's first coming, the church age and how we ought to function and deal, and his work in the midst of that church age, and finally him coming back, ruling and reigning as king, and how everything kind of comes together at that point. And so we just kind of took all of that in the Bible and kind of put it all together, and you can kind of see it there. Uh, it's a little bit busy, isn't it? But uh, I think after uh, you look at it a while, it's not so complicated. So the question is, is this, then, as we close. The question is really this. What are you going to do about all that? You say, what do you mean? Well, we ended with talking about what Paul said about, uh, you know, uh, how we're supposed to live right now. I mean, really, that's the bottom line, isn't it? There's nothing. Listen, we are all struggling, and whether we want to admit it or not, we struggle with living a pure, holy, clean life. That's all there is to it. You cannot live in the world in which we live today where there is just, we are being bombarded with all kinds of uh, influences, not all godly, of course, <laughs> most not godly, and not be swayed toward the wrong side. You know, we like to talk about our young people and our singles and how tempted they can possibly become and how easily it is for them to get misguided and off track. But I'm going to tell you something. As an adult in the world in which we live, I, I'm not so sure that it isn't equally as easy to get off track and uh, in a position where we find ourselves asking ourselves, how in the world did I get here? I don't know where you're at, and, and you know what? You don't really know where I'm at 100%. We can all put on the dog, as my grandma would say. We can all look the part. We can all pretend to have it all together, but the truth is God knows our heart, doesn't he? When we really look at that, we have to ask ourselves, how's God see me tonight? You know, where am I at? Am I fulfilling the responsibility as a believer in the midst of this dispensation and age in which I live? I have, I, I have the wonderful privilege of looking back and seeing Christ crucified. Uh, wonderful privilege, I should say. I'm on your side, your left now. Seeing him crucified. And he died for me. He was buried and rose again for me. And I have the wonderful privilege of, remember, of looking forward and saying, you know what, he's coming again and I'm going to come back with him and rule and reign. The question is, what are you going to do about this right here? What are we going to do with it? I mean, I got, it's wonderful to look back. It's exciting. It's, it's, it's really exciting to look forward. What are we going to do about now? That's the real key, isn't it? What decision will you make? It all comes down to decisions. What will you decide to do with your life? Will you be pure and holy? Will you at least strive to be? Will you work to be? Will you consider those things? My grandma used to go, um, how, how did she do with it? She'd put her hand up and she'd basically, I'm confessing like, you know, well, let me tell you the truth. You know what? I'll tell you the truth. It's hard to be holy in this world for a preacher. Because you know what I am before I'm a preacher? I'm a man. 
you know what, we're fooling ourselves, aren't we? Sometimes we think the things that we do compensate for what we're not. May we never fall into the trap of believing something that we do covers up what we are. Because what we are is what God really cares about. What you do is often a reflection of who you are. However, you can do the right things and still not be what you're supposed to be. So let's work on that one, okay? Let's be holy because he's holy. Let's be like the one who saved us, washed us, and cleansed us. Let's work at striving to be more like Jesus. Father, we love you now. We thank you for all you do for us. We're grateful, Father, for the fact that we can 